first 10 seconds of this for this one, and I'll explain why shortly. Oh, I love Mary Clayton. Exactly, right. So, I picked this song particularly because we're both Doors fans. It's true. And I noticed in the credits at the start that Mary Clayton did some music for Brewster. I'm not sure what she did. I think it was the song at the start. The one that they interrupt the anthem with? Yeah. 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 And I think maybe during the car chase as well, there was like a little boppy thing in there that I think was her. Do you have more facts for me? I've not actually done much research because I was like, the whole point of this, in fact, I should introduce this before I even go into an elaborate detail. I'm really excited to hear your introduction. Absolute silence, please. (laughs) Okay, hello and welcome to Obscure Film Presents the 70s. I'm Sammy, aka Obscure Film, on some websites. And I am doing this podcast. This is a terrible intro. I am doing this podcast. This will change every time, I'm sure, because this is such an elaborate topic. I mean, how can you reduce an era down to just a short, possibly two-hour conversation? (laughs) You can't do it. So the reason for this, I will give you this time, is that I'm doing this because... It's an era of film that I particularly love, and I think I've only just realised how much I love it. This year, within uh, this time that we're all in currently, because I've been watching more and more films from the 70s, and I think, like, going into another reason, I want to get an understanding for the era that I feel has shaped the industry and has had maybe a lasting effect more than other eras of film history, although that is arguable based on things like effects, etc., and technology. And I want to bring people along on this exploration. I, I'm calling it Obscure Film Presents, but it's not about me just showing off my film knowledge, because my knowledge can also and always increase. And I want it to increase, and the only way I can do that is by really exploring things in depth. Okay. <laughs> That was, like, a circular conversation. No, it was good. Your accent's very soothing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I feel very soothed. Good. I feel like I'm listening to a podcast, but I'm in oh. the podcast. Yes. I have to introduce you now. <laughs> the person who is listening and in the podcast with me is my uh, guest and hopeful co-host in other episodes, Freddie. Hello, Freddie. Hello, Sammy. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. We've just been talking for like 10 minutes, but like, you've only just got here. I know, but it's like the illusion of like, I don't know, quirky neighbor. I'm your quirky neighbor. You're the Ned Flanders of the situation. (laughs) Well, I was really shooting for Kramer, but sure. Oh, definitely Kramer. Definitely Kramer. Kramer. (laughs) I don't, I guess I have some expertise I have interest. Uh, I feel like I've also recently discovered how much I love the 70s. Aesthetically. Yes. <laughs> or just, yeah, not that I, not that it's new love. No, no, of course not. But I've just, no. <laughs> no, of course not. But like, it's like when you put it all together and then you're like, oh shit, that's a lot of things that I like. Yeah. From <laughs> this one decade. Yeah. Um, yes. 
I could have a better introduction, but I don't want to. We both could, I'm sure, but I think for episode one, this will do. I think this is fine. <laughs> because, yeah, like, the whole point of the exploration, I should have really called it Obscure Film obs- Explores the 70s rather than Presents, but I'm going to stick with Presents just because it sounds good. <laughs> um, it sounds, yeah, it does sound good. But I think we're both exploring it, and we're both going to learn a lot about about the era, about film in the era, but also why why, why it's sort of impacted us both so much. <laughs> yeah. And it's, Psychoanalyze it's, us. Yes, yes. And it seems like when I proposed the idea that this one grabbed you more than other podcast ideas that we've had. That's not true. I don't know. It just seemed like a more immediate grip. I guess... Probably because there's a lot of movies that I haven't watched that are on my watch list that are all from the 70s. Yeah. So it's very practically something that I can do. I think that's a great reason. It is a great reason. Also, we both we both are technically, like, you're a little film teacher. I am a little film teacher. I'm a little film student, so we have some modicum of authority. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just being modest. But I was like, oh, maybe should I not mention that? But it is true. It is like, true. I yeah. No, you have to mention it because it gives you credibility. Not that okay. you need credibility, but it's also kind of <laughs> cool. It's like, it's like, no, no, no. I know what I'm talking about. Well, yeah, as much as I'm, I'm learning things about it, and I can always stand to learn more, I am a film teacher. <laughs> and I have taught people. And it would be very strange... For this to be in the ears of some of my students or ex-students. But maybe it will reach them. I don't know. That would be cool. No, I think that'd be kind of cool. There's some of my film teachers who I'd love to have podcasts. And some of them that I would really not want to have podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Who would you like to have a podcast? Like, if you... Don't name them. Don't Don't name them. (laughs) But what did they teach you? What would the, what would their podcasts be? Oh, I don't know. My first my first film history teacher in college. Yeah. Um, in my first year, that's freshman year for you non-American. <laughs> was how old would you be for non-Americans? How old would I be? I guess I was say eighteen or nineteen. Okay. Um, and I loved her. She was really great. I admit I did not do very good in that class because it was mostly test-based. Um, but I think we had a good rapport going on. When you say test-based, do you mean like essays? No, I mean like tests. Like, mm. like because uh, it was like history history tests. Oh, uh, right. Um, because it was like a huge lecture class. Uh. So it would have probably been miserable to grade papers for it because there was about like maybe 60-something kids in it. But, no, I I loved her and would love to find another one like her (laughs) because (laughs) uh, she did not just, like, Western, like, film history, which was nice. Yes. And, like, the typical, that's the typical U.S. film history education. And she also talked about a lot of, like, early women editors and directors and, like, early black filmmakers she sounds like a really cool person. Very cool person. You would probably really vibe with her. Well, I'm going to ask you for her name later on. <laughs> and I'll yeah. do some Googling. She has a book, I think. Oh. 
No, it was just a little play. There's a little appreciation. <laughs> I think you've made a good point there as well, which is that as we explore this particular period, we're not just going to focus on like New Hollywood, although that is, you know, we, we both love New Hollywood. We should expand our horizons a little bit. And I'm sure we will because like there's the likes of Westerns, there's the likes of Made in Different Countries, there's the likes of Japanese cinema. It should be really, really interesting, no matter what we look into. And there's just so much. Like, if I go into my letterbox right now, and I go into my massive 7,000 film watch list... Insane. Insane. I just add things when I see them. <laughs> I do, too. And I go into the decade. I know, let me go into mine. I. That's surprisingly low. Maybe it's just... 745 films from the 70s. Oh, yeah. That's nothing. That's, That's not nothing. that many. <laughs> I think it's not just... Not just, I mean, obviously focusing on, like, more than Western perspective is that. But also, I think the other thing about at least, like, American film education is, which I know a lot of things on my watch list are not, like, mm. not necessarily didn't do well. Yeah. They're just very, like, sleeper hits. And I feel like there's a lot, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, like, it's just, like, the people who don't get talked about. I feel like there's a lot yeah, of movies well... in the 70s that just don't get talked about. I think, we, I'm not sure, I would have to look into how true this is, but I think with the industry changing at that point, especially, like, worldwide, uh, you know, you get a raft of really tiny films that have kind of flown under the radar and have maybe not been seen for a very long time. They're just, like, chucked into cinemas or even onto television. It's true. Which is a whole ball game of its own, isn't it, really, because of how television changed. There's, like, a lot of gay movies I found that, like, I would have no idea existed in the 70s. Like, yeah, how droll. How droll. <laughs> how droll. <laughs> a lot of, like, indie, like, offshoots from exploitation mm. too. Yeah, like, people using their own money. The whole era is just people using their own money or trying to wheedle money out of people. And not necessarily studios. And then that's why you get so many small films that are, that are as you're saying, sleeper hits. Sleeper hits. Are you going to introduce the movie of the of the week of the of the podcast? The movie of the podcast. I wanted to start particularly with a film from 1970 because that just seems logical. And uh, you went through your list and you picked out some particular favorites from it we kind of democratically worked out what we would want to watch. So we went with Brewster McLeod. Now, Freddie, why... I have an idea of why you wanted to watch this and why you've why it's, like, on your list of faves. But you tell me. I want to hear... I wouldn't say it's on my list of faves, but I could say why it's... What's your idea? Well, what would you call that list that you gave me? <laughs> oh, a list of most wanted to watch. Ooh. Because, yeah, because I gave you the list before I had even seen any of these. Yes. I feel like you know the reason, probably, because I think it's pretty transparent. But I love Harold and Maude. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love Harold and Maude. And I love Shelley Duvall. Um, and Bud Court's yes. not in that much. Um, but I really I really vibe with him and Harold and Maude. Yeah. Um, and also... I thought this movie might have a little bit of a birdie vibe. Mm. Um, and I like, I love birdie. And I also 
know. Have I been meaning to watch Robert Altman more, or have I just been doing it accidentally? How many Altman films have you seen? I feel like not that many. Mm. I f- uh, oh, I've seen... Oh, this is not going to be interesting. But <laughs> Have a peep get... on your LB. Yeah, I am having a peep on my LB. Well, I've seen a long goodbye, obviously. Obviously. On the rewatch front, because you and I have both seen a lot of extremely good 1970s films already, I think maybe, like, once a month we do a rewatch. Oh, I like that. I have to say something that I haven't seen of his, which has been on... I think it's on my list somewhere, is The Buffalo Bill and the Indians. I haven't seen that either, so potential. I really haven't seen that much. I've seen Stripes. Streamers. Stripes. Stripes is the Bill Murray. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Streamers. Yeah, I guess I really haven't seen that much Altman. I always feel like his filmography is actually quite small. He's just a very, I don't know, he's just very present. How did you get into him? Is it through MASH? Is it through MASH? Did you see the film before you saw the series? No, I've never seen the film. You've never... What? You know that? I've never seen the film. No. I'm sure... I was sure you'd have seen it. It's... It's... If you look at my letterbox, it's on my watch list. Oh. Well, definitely rewatch Potential for Mash. Oh, gosh. But yeah, also, I didn't realize it was an... Uh, Brewster McLeod was an introducing Shelley Duvall. I assumed she had done something before it, or bigger before yeah. it, but... How special is that? It is special, because who doesn't love to see her? And she was amazing right away. Oh, we love Shelley. We love Shelley so much. Did you, you, you knew why I picked it, though. The reason that you thought I picked it was because of Harold and Maude, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought you were a big Ashby fan. I, I... Uh, you are a big Ashby I, fan. I think I You am, want to I be a big Ashby fan. I've only seen that. <laughs> I've only seen Harold and Maude, I think. Okay, well, Ashby's got loads of potential for us to watch things. I've been really meaning to power through literally all of his movies, because for whatever reason, and I know this is, like, it's such a, like, quirky movie, but (laughs) deeply formative in everything I've done since I've seen it. Including picking movies to watch on a podcast. Yes. <laughs> it all loops back around. It does. Could you compare Brewster and Harold and Maud? Could I compare them? Yes. In what way? In Budcourt performances. <laughs> um, I would say, actually, he's like, despite being like top or first build... Well, I actually don't remember what order he was built, but I know he's, like, he's on the poster. He is the eponymous Brewster yes, McLeod. Yes, he's Brewster. He's not in it as much as I thought he was going to be. No, right. I guess he's in it a decent amount, but he's not, he doesn't say very much. Which also doesn't really mean anything, but I guess in this case. He was a very internal character. And yeah, it did feel a lot like Birdie in that respect. Birdie being the 80s film with Matthew Modine about a young man who goes through Vietnam and then believes he is a bird. Is that a succinct... And his, yeah. ...version of Birdie? That, uh, that barely scratches the surface. It does barely scratch the surface. And I, <laughs> the like, I would Birdie. highly recommend Birdie to anybody. 
Would I recommend them Brewster McLeod? I don't know. <laughs> it would depend on the person. I think to some people. Yeah. I think it depends on the person. Yeah. But I'd say, like, he's pretty insular, introverted. <laughs> and Harold and Maude. How would you describe Bud Cop? How would I describe him? Mm-hmm. I feel like if he was around, like, today... I mean, like, he's alive. Is he alive? He is alive. <laughs> but I mean, like, if he was, like, a young little guy today, I feel like he'd probably be acting. pretty successful with uh, mm. A24 <laughs> or something. Are you calling him the Chalamet of the 70s? I'm not, because I think he's a better actor. Yeah. <laughs> Take that, Chalamet. <laughs> I think he's more interesting. I think he would be more of like a Lucas Hedges. Ooh. Honestly. Yeah, right? definitely. I really underestimate Lucas Hedges. Right? I do too. But he was in Moonrise Kingdom and that is perfect Bud Court territory. Well, because Wes Anderson's big, big inspired by Harold and Maude, I know. Of course he is. He loves brown corduroy. <laughs> but I don't know. Very, it's still like. I guess similar performance, but different. Still not as much of a like main character as I thought. There was just so much mm. happening in it, which I didn't expect. What was like your expectation of the film before you watched it, if you can re- recall? I can. I just expected it to be a lot more linear. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more just like about him, you know, struggling to make his wings. And everybody yeah. being like, wow, you're crazy for trying to do that. And, um, I don't know, nobody really called him crazy (laughs) till the end. (laughs) And I didn't know there was going to be a murder, murder subplot. No. I have a habit of keeping myself very uninformed about films that I want to see because I don't like to be spoiled. So I don't do my research or look into films usually until I've seen them. Unless I'm particularly, like, into them in a sense, like, oh, I've heard of it because this has a particular, like, technical thing in it or a performance or something, and it's like, you can't escape that. But with this, I've been so uninformed about it that I will admit to you that I thought it would be a kid's film. You thought it was going to be a kid's film? I thought this was a kid's film. I th- Right, my expectations of this film were, I thought it would be, like, a kid's version of Brazil, you know, the Terry Gilliam film. Yes! Looking at that poster, it gives me such a vibe of Brazil. And in a sense, you know, it almost was. <laughs> you know in that it was just I... absolutely off the deep end. But this was not a kid's film. This was not a kid's film. At all. Oh, no. <laughs> not at all. Not, not at, at all. all. But who is this film made for? <laughs> I think who, it's made I it think for? we're probably a target audience for it. So, like... <sighs> Young right? people. <laughs> young, young weird people. Young weird people. This film is about a young weird man who lives in the, the Astrodome. Is that what it's called? The Astrodome in Texas. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is my, I have to admit, and it's going to sound really stupid. Well, I just admitted I something very silly but, to you, so anything could be. So my like fully preconceived notion when I heard about this, I don't know, like two years ago... I had, yeah. I, I don't know if it was because somebody was lying on the internet or because <laughs> I, like, daydreamed it, mm-hmm. but I had, like, convinced myself that the plot of this movie was that, like, 
I think I, like, weirdly, like, melded it in my mind with Quintet. So I was like, nobody is alive except for the people living in the Astrotome. (laughs) And one of them is trying to turn into a bird and fly away. (laughs) And and then I, that was like what I, my notion of it was like two years ago. And then before we watched it, I was like, I know that's not it. But I still expected, like, I think I still held on to a little bit of that. Like... There's a community living in the Astrodome. But no, it's just him. I expected that his family would come up in it. And that's why I thought throughout the film that the angel woman, who I don't know what her name is. She did have a name. And it was something like Christine or something. I think I think it began with a C. I should look it up. But like, I thought she was his mom. Which is why I said to you, like, when we were watching it, is that not his mom? <laughs> and then she took her top off in front of him. And that really confirmed that this was not a kid's film. <laughs> no, I had a very good sense that she was not his mother. I assumed... Oh, I, I was convinced. I assumed she was his sugar mama. Ooh. She's funding the wing project. But she's not even really that. I guess she is in some ways that. I just assumed she was, I just assumed she was like, like, I don't know, because they're doing crimes together yeah. in the beginning, before the wings even show up. So I was like, oh, <laughs> it's like, she's a MILF, and this is her young, like, twink boyfriend. <laughs> she was a definite MILF. <laughs> but was she an angel? Do you think at one point she... Right, it was either... My theories were she was either an angel who had had her ring, wings removed by some kind of, I don't know, government experiments, or she had had wings placed on her, perhaps even by Brewster. And I was like, that's that's too weird. But this whole film is too weird. I don't think it's the latter one, according to Wikipedia, because after we watched it, mm. I did look... I did have to look at Wikipedia. Yeah. They call her a fairy godmother. Yeah, she definitely had, like, a guardian angel vibe to her. I don't think he put the wings on her. I think it's definitely, like... Yeah, she is angel slash fairy godmother. A part of me was, like, is he... Like, is she just a bird person? And, like... And he's a bird person, but he doesn't know he's a bird person. I would love it if they were bird people. Like Shape of Water. And speaking of bird people, who was the lecturer? (laughs) Who was the lecturer? In my mind, he was Brewster's father. In your mind, he was Brewster's father? In my mind, watching this thing, I was like, well, his relevance must be that he's either Brewster's, like, favourite teacher... Or his dad. Oh, I just assumed he was completely unrelated. I'm trying to pu- apply too much logic to this story, oh, which had very I little logic. I was just logic. like, he's completely unrelated to the story. He's just there for color. And... He, he's Mr. Framing and Device. And he reminds me of a bit from Schitt's Creek. And that's all I can think of. <laughs> I need to watch that episode because I haven't do, seen it. Um, yeah, if... Anybody listening has no Schitt's Creek, as you should, uh, even though I was very late to the game, so I shouldn't say you should, because, yeah. <laughs> but, um, there's a scene where, where Catherine O'Hara has, like, got a new job, where she's in, like, a B-movie called The Crows Have Eyes, and, like, her character is just slowly turning into 
a crow person, and the the costuming and makeup is remarkably similar to what was happening. It was with it was incredible, really, that it, it happened at all. <laughs> That he turned into a bird. We didn't see him fully transform into a bird. He did turn into... That's why I was thinking... That's why I was thinking it was uh, the wings thing and him being a bird person was like... It was like a shape of water thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. When she has, like, the gills, do you just think she has scars on her neck? I don't think we're going to discern any real... Right? Right? Like, cemented meaning from it. something there. Well, I don't think he is a bird person because he died. So, that kind of squashed that theory. Yeah, so spoilers. <laughs> spoilers if you've not seen the film and you want to. I don't know why you would be listening to this. Well, I assumed there was going to be spoilers. Brewster does die at the end, and it was pretty horrific in the sense... Very realistic, weirdly. Too realistic, almost, because like you see him really exhaust himself. You see him training throughout the film, and then it's just too much for him because he's flapping too much. And the, the apparatus of the wings is just too elaborate and it won't stop as he's flying around the Astrodome. He flies too high! He flies too high and he has nowhere to land, no way of landing <laughs> at all. He didn't even think about that. He didn't put down a mattress. Well, because he was going to fly away. But how could he, he... Like, the Astrodome didn't even have, like, a, a skylight <laughs> for him to fly As far out. as we know. As far as I assume we know. that it probably will, like... Is it one of those moving roof domes? Probably. I don't know. I've never been to Texas. Astrodome facts. Uh, no, but it would be cool to go to the Astrodome and see where they shot, <laughs> like, various things from this movie. I really liked how how it looked and how colourful it was. Yes. I have to say, I I loved the credits sequence at the end. Yes, yeah. the ending credits. I loved it so much. I would like to see that in more films. I, yeah, exactly. That was like my, one of my first takeaways. Was like, I have no idea what to do with this movie mentally. But I that was my favorite ending credits sequence I've seen. It was wonderful. Like, the money that they spent on the ending credits sequence alone with a whole circus and actual, like, performers... And all of the actors were dressed as characters from the circus for no reason. It was wonderful. It was so it was good. It was wonderful. It was so good. I want every... I love that. The camera pans to Brewster and he's just dead. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't get to come back to life and become a, a circus person. Because he was really Brewster the whole time. And everybody else was just acting. But what does it mean? It was... <laughs> <laughs> but what does it mean? I don't know. We're not going to work any of that out. I don't think, no. One of my favourite characters, like, I enjoyed a lot of the characters who were all very unique, especially Shelley, who we'll talk about in depth, I'm sure, but I really enjoyed the, like, the guy who's in, he's living his own version of Bullet. Oh, I knew you would the like detective. the detective. I love the detective. I knew you would, with his, detective like... Detective Shaft. <laughs> I am, first of all, unbelievable. What a choice. <laughs> How could you have more than one detective named Shaft? That seems unbelievable. But um... he just he just wanted to be Steve McQueen. And he I love it when characters in films like they basically ignore the film around them and they just do their own thing. <laughs> I did really appreciate his collection of color coded turtlenecks. Yes. Perfect costuming. <laughs> Perfect costuming. And his, like, inexplicable contact lenses. 
<laughs> horrible contact lenses. They looked very painful. They looked like they came from Hot Topic. <laughs> they were, they were so, so painful. And then I really appreciated the little detail of one of them falling out when he crashed his car in the park. Yeah, and then he kills himself. And then he kills himself for no reason. <laughs> because he's failed his mission. I assumed he did it because his contact fell out. and <laughs> He's so embarrassed. I, I, I assumed it was because his contact fell out. And he was like, oh... That's the end of me. Everyone, everyone will know. <laughs> I'm a sham. I'm not Steve McQueen. I really did love Shelly. I'm trying to think of other characters that really stood out, but I really loved her. Shelly's driving. Her driving. This movie had everything. We have to say that. That it had car chases. That it had crime. It had bizarre scenes in zoos. It had a woman in the B story who like gets married. <laughs> yes. <laughs> After Mrs. Mrs. Yeah, her horrible husband who like tries to pin drugs on Brewster. Brewster's like just drifting through his own story. I think it is. I think it is Brewster's joint, but he just tries to arrest him for it. <laughs> He's not pinning it. He just is trying to take him out for it. I thought he got it out of his pocket. He got it out of his own pocket. And he was just like, well, I'm, I hate this kid. I'm going to ruin this kid's life. Because <laughs> he, he ruined everybody else's life. Yeah, he did. But then he died, so, you know. Yeah, thank God. Vigilante <laughs> uh, justice works. And birds pooping on people. Yeah, that's the other thing. They never really explain. If, if you, you could watch this movie if you were a kid and you, like, if you censored this for your kids. If they did, like, a TV version of this movie, no. you could show it to children. No, I well, think you could because like they never show how people get actually killed. But, it's just uh, like if you were a kid, you would assume that the poop did it. To, according to Wikipedia, again, <laughs> from my the search I did after I watched it, the same search that told me that I can't remember her name, her character name still is a fairy godmother, also said that the reason. That Brewster can't fly in the end, like he's been training to, and the reason she leaves is because he has sex. Oh. So. <laughs> okay. Because remember, and it kind of it kind of makes sense. I'm not saying that it like makes sense as a movie plot, but it kind of makes sense. In no, it does imply because, it because like there's the whole scene where she takes her top off, and then he's in the bag. Yeah. And she's like, tr- he's asking about sex, and she's like, it's for people who don't know how to fly, um, and they think they know what they're doing, but they don't, and they're stupid. <laughs> and he's like, okay. <laughs> but then he sleeps with Shelly, and then she makes her sad bird noises when she finds out, and leaves him, and then he dies. <laughs> yeah, so maybe don't show it to children. <laughs> I forgot about that, but I also, I fo- right, the, the scene after he and, and Shelly have had sex, and it just zooms right in on his face, and he looks very regretful, I think that does imply that, you know, as well, that it will prevent him from flying. That's so sad. This movie is much more tragic than I even give it credit for. It's so sad he can't fuck. <laughs> he can't fuck and then he can't fly. And that poor girl as well who keeps coming into his little Astrodome house. 
And then just, like, furiously masturbating. Yeah. I feel very sorry for her. What is she going to do after this film? I feel sorry for her. I was also, oh, baffled by her. It was wild, but at the same time, go Mr. Altman for including that. Um, yeah, so that, yeah, if you censored it, you would be cutting out what apparently is yeah. the moral heart of the yeah, story. Yeah, that would be, like, against Robert Altman's whole deal anyway, wouldn't it? Because, you know, he's anti-authoritarian. Yeah, show your kids and censorship sex is, is bad. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I, right, I don't even know why I thought it was a kid's movie, but I, that's what I've held the belief of for years. <laughs> I don't know, I guess it's got a kind of, like, it's got a kind of quirky name. Yeah, like, a lot of kids' movies are just named after their protagonists. For some reason, like, the only other name that I can think I of I think is... the first Altman film I ever saw was Popeye anyway. <laughs> so that's just your... When I was, like, eight. I always forget he did Popeye. Lest we forget he did Popeye. <laughs> I... No, I'll... I think I'll keep forgetting. That's fine. <laughs> I was going to talk more about the car chase because I think that's what we kind of diverted from. Mm-hmm. But we've not really been going the through the car chase? in a linear fashion, have we? It doesn't even really matter that we're not talking about this in a linear fashion because there is so much happening there was just too much happening (laughs) but it kept entertaining me right to the last moment there was no wasted time in it at all there was nothing where i I felt like oh let's get rid of that maybe the girl because didn't she like have a moment where she came in and then she'd been there before and we kind of just saw the same thing happen that we saw before yes Her last moment with the guardian angel lady, or the fairy godmother lady, uh, that was quite nice, I thought. But, like, it's, it's, she didn't even recognize her or anything. (laughs) Some, it was a little, I think there was almost too many subplots at some points for me, but I don't think that's, like, a real criticism. I think that's, like, just because in my head... I was like, this is a linear movie, and Bud Cord and Shelly are the stars, so they have the most screen time. Yeah. And then I was proven wrong, <laughs> so um, I think it was just, just my assumptions, and not, as you're right, I don't know, I was always something happening, I was always watching mm. it. Yeah. I was never not watching it. Like, I feel like the list of subplots would be, like, at least ten things long. Yes, if not more. But that's that's the case with most Altman films. And it really makes them feel like a real world or a real event happening. All I could think of is, I guess, literally the most recent one I've seen of his. Or, like, most recently watched, which is not that recent anymore. And I can probably pull mm. it up and it'll tell me the year. It was probably... Recent as in made or recent as in you've seen? Recent as in I've seen. Yeah. I think the last thing I saw of his was streamers which doesn't feel true but that one is so linear and there definitely is subplots to it but it's pretty much like a play it is based on a play, it is though. a play yeah um and i was just like oh it's just gonna be like that right this is a nice segue <laughs> and is it now that i've pointed it out but the reason that i made altman bingo is because I thought, like, neither you or I 
believe in auteur theory, <laughs> but he does have a very rigorous personal style that pops up just across the board in well, his films. I, believe I mean, there's in... a difference between like a style and auteur theory, isn't there? Because that's its whole thing. But like, yeah, yeah. Because I believe in I believe in personal style. Yeah. I just think auteur theory is bullshit. Yes, I agree. <laughs> For many, um, many reasons. For many, many reasons. There's many auteurs that I suppose I like. And I like people who have very distinctive styles where you can be like, they made this movie. Obviously. It just, the reason it kills me, which I bet is one of the reasons it kills you. Yes. Is just because nobody, like, I don't know, everybody credits it to the one person. And obviously as a very little guy in the industry a very very little 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 guy yeah it's like please there's more people working on this movie set than you think yes <laughs> and as much as it's like oh one person's vision that vision goes through so many different minds <laughs> it really does oh my god oh i can't <laughs> yeah we'll get into auto theory i'm sure when we watch something french but like <laughs> especially in this era the 70s era which starts with mash mm. <laughs> and ends with a movie called a perfect couple which has nobody i've ever heard of in it <laughs> i've simply never heard of the movie we should probably give that a watch that's interesting but the movie before that is a paul newman movie which one is it is it quintet it's quintet yeah have you seen quintet i haven't that is on my watch list and um, we've spoken about it so we should probably watch quintet. i have but i already spoke about it earlier when i said that i conflated it in my mind with yeah. Mr. mccloud well, when you said Mr. that uh, you reminded me of that 80s movie what's it called it's what's it called i just googled it never mind i'll talk to you about that later because it's not appropriate but like <laughs> This, this we era. don't talk about the 80s. <laughs> no, we can't, unfortunately. <laughs> Which is another era that I really love. But we're in the 70s. We're That's in the 70s. not the point. That 80s doesn't exist now, for the moment. No. Uh, but yeah, like, this whole era, I think, is it especially typifies Altman's style. And then Streamers is, like, kind of a bit of an outlier in his style. Because it is based on a play and he didn't write it. Whereas with a, a lot of these 70s films, he's written... That's true. But I would say Streamers does have some of his... Some very, I mean, like, overlapping dialogue. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's go through the bingos. Because I don't know what you got, and you don't know what I've got. But oh, we have the same bingo sheet. We do, but maybe we got different results. Because we were paying attention to different things probably because sometimes you would say that's a bingo and then I wouldn't realize what you were talking about until 15 minutes later <laughs> did you get any lines I didn't I have like a clump I have lines you have lines okay I got a lot and I, th I think some of them I cheated on a little bit so I realize <laughs> now that I've forgotten to add perhaps a very important one um I hope you're gonna I, you're gonna post this for the people to see, right? Of course I will, and you should send me yours so I can post it as well. I will. So, and I'll post the blank ones so people can join in when they're watching Altman films themselves. It was very fun. This is a really reduced version of what I would have done because 
I've got like the, the sheets that I wrote when I was coming up with this here and I've got two of them. So I actually came up with 60 elements of his style. Oh my god! <laughs> Some of them I think are a bit like specific to different films. Like one of them is just Elliot Gould. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm in an Elliot Gould phase right now but he he I couldn't put it on this bingo card. I, yeah. Because he's not in this. Although MASH is. MASH is on the bingo card. And you pointed it out. Oh, I know MASH, MASH the is in the film. Yes. MASH is in Brewster. That was a good spot in your yes. part. Some of them are a bit similar to other ones, like on the bingo card that we've got is Big Hat. <laughs> and on this sheet, I've got Big Hat and also Big Sweater, Big Mustache. <laughs> and you could have been like Big Accessory. Yeah. Big Feature. Yeah, like on the bingo card, we've got All Brown Outfit. And on the sheets, I've also got all yellow outfit, but I should have just done, like, monochrome outfit. Or, yeah, you yeah. should have. Oh. So, really, this card was a draft. But even so, I feel like I got a lot of stuff in it. You did. It was solid. Yeah. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight boxes checked off. Eight. I've got, I've got 19. Oh, my God. I think part Ooh. of it is because I maybe, maybe I checked out. Or, I don't think I checked out, though. I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame yourself. I think I've, like, stretched the definition of some of these terms a little bit. Okay, because I was like, I'm going to not stretch it so I'm as accurate as possible. Yes. Okay, so you tell me what's your first one on the top row. Oh, I have nothing on the top row. Nothing? Apparently. <gasps> Apparently. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why. I've got four things on the top Because doesn't he have a row. cameo in it? He doesn't have a cameo in it oh, that I'm aware of. Somebody might tell us that he does, but I didn't see him. Uh, I've got all brown outfit. Are you talking the lecturer? Yeah, the lecturer, like, right away, he had an all brown outfit. No, but no. But then other people had all brown outfits as well. See, I saw <laughs> his outfit, and you said bingo immediately. And I was like, oh... It must be that. But then he came back on screen and he had a white shirt. And I was like, that's not an all brown outfit. <laughs> he had a brown blazer, brown pants, white shirt is not all brown. Was the first shot of the film the lecturer? Yeah, but he's wearing like a white shirt. I guess he hadn't had his thing unbuttoned yet, maybe. Okay. Because he wasn't getting disheveled. So yeah, keep me, keep me <laughs> truthful. Keep me truthful. <laughs> keep me truthful. Honey, did you get anything else in the top row? Yeah, I got three other things. Uh, the second one is Flash Film, which is definitely stretching the truth because I don't think this was Flash. Yes. The moment with the oh yeah, um, she... developer. <laughs> Do you remember this? That in doesn't the photo at place, all. That's not what... The camera shot. You took it so he, literally. Like, I think it he's... is it the guardian angel lady. She opens the door. He's and literally he's holding he's literally. A... Flashing his little up to the white little negative with that ten counts. <laughs> but it doesn't. It doesn't at all. It doesn't. That's not even what film flashing is. Like no, but I like the effort you went. I cheated on my own <laughs> So yeah, yes, like point five. Uh, the third one I've got is good improv. But how am I to know? See, I wasn't sure to check that off or not. Because part of me was like, I assume 
but I don't know. I think I gave that as kind of like a given that there was improv. I think I did it specifically for a moment that was like between that cop, uh, Johnson, <laughs> who is with Shaft. And they, they have like some yes. banter at some point, And I think it was him. He said something that was like in response to Shaft that was very quick. And it just seemed like improv to me. So I was like, I'm going to check that off. I can't remember what it was specifically. I've learned that I'm very bad at guessing improv in movies. And I don't know why. I feel like sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes and it especially is Especially in Altman films. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> it is obvious. I feel like it's sometimes it's more obvious in the 70s. So I just was like, I won't check this off because I simply can't tell. You're much more honest than me with the finger. <laughs> and the last one I got was Snap Zoom, which definitely happened multiple times. That is true. I think I'm just so desensitized to them that I, mm. I'm like, oh, that's a camera move. <laughs> I have three on my second room. Ooh, okay. You, you give me a three. Okay. Three is... First is Big Hat. Big Hat, yay. I don't know which Big Hat you saw, but there was somebody wearing a Big Hat in the beginning, in the I marching bands. I think I probably bands. got a very early Big Hat, yeah. U.S. flag colors, also immediately. Yes, right at the Singing, start. also immediately. Yeah. And there's my three, all in probably like the first two minutes of the film. Yeah, and if that doesn't like say... Altman has a style, then what does? It's true. <laughs> but of course, of course, all directors have some kind of style. I also got disgusting food because I did not like the girl's hot dog. It was gross. <laughs> oh, it was. It was gross. And all that mustard. All right, I'll check that off retroactively. <laughs> <laughs> no beach scene. No beach scene. But that's almost like, I don't know, I could have said a scene with some sand in it. Is there a scene with sand in it? I guess there was sand at the zoo, most likely. Yeah, and in the car chase, there was definitely some sandy areas. Okay, what about number, Roth number three? I've got four on there. I've got three. In- including the free space. Oh, I've got three including the free space. Okay, so there wasn't a scene with my parent was a blank, which I was surprised about because, like, especially with my belief that this is a kid's film, I expected him to say, well, you know, my dad was a lecturer on birds, <laughs> but no. Uh, live animals, that was very early. Also immediately. But I'm pretty sure that's come up before. Live animals was very early. Yes. Overlapping dialogue. Right away. That's just like entry level. (laughs) Altman. Cigars, I've got that. Was it like the cops or the... Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And then references to other media, there were quite a few. There were quite a few. But this one, I'm not sure if it was like the arrival of Shaft, or if it was somebody either was watching something. I should have made a proper note of what I was doing. (laughs) See, I checked it off. Somebody made reference to... Yeah. Some cartoons. Yeah. Or children's television in the beginning. Oh, yeah. I don't remember what it was, but named it by name, but I was like, I don't know if that counts, because it's like a throwaway line. Yes. And then that was like one of the... It was the cop. It was in the cop's. And the detective in the car in the beginning. And then I was like, I don't know. I won't check it off yet. I'll wait. And then um, and then I checked it off finally when I saw the MASH poster. Ah. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting strategy to wait until it gets confirmed by multiple appearances. <laughs> Make sure I'm not crazy. 
It proves the bingo card as well, if it happens multiple times. That's true. I only have two on the next line. I have a full line. You do? You go first. Well, here's the thing. I guess I truly just, like, the only two that I have checked off are the ones that I guess you could say are not technical. (laughs) Because I just stopped paying attention. So floating pan I didn't check off. Abrupt cut and lens flare I didn't check off. Mm. But checked off major character death. And character covered in something. Um, so obviously major character death is, is Brewster. Not knowing that he was going to die at the end. That is such a incredible thing to actually put into this bingo card. I guess you could say the detective too. Yeah. That's, he's a relatively major character. Yeah, he had his own subplot. Character covered in something. Bird shit. Yeah, people are constantly covered in poop. Lots of, lots of people getting shatted, shat on? Shat on. Shatted on? Shat on. <laughs> Shit on. Shat on. <laughs> no, I would never say that. <laughs> yeah, I've got all the technical ones as well. Floating pan is just like immediate. My brain tunes out. Abrupt cut. I think that happened more than once. And lens flare when they were outside. But also when they were flying around at the end, I think there was some lens fuzz there. there prob- yeah, there probably was. I guess I just decided that there weren't. <laughs> that I didn't remember it, so it didn't happen. And then the last line, how many have you got? I have nothing! Ooh. Uh, one of them is like similar to the improv one, which is I assumed that was true. But it, I think I've read something about it that confirms it was true. Non-actors? Yes. And I think that was the old people in the retirement home. We haven't even talked about the old man. <laughs> I t- honestly almost forgot he was a thing. <laughs> what happened to him? Uh, Did he just die? No, I remember. I'm trying to piece it together. I don't so remember. For, for those not in the know, in the beginning of the movie, Brewster is a chauffeur for this man who has, I yeah. would say, Monty Burns energy. But uglier even. Uh, that. Not to say that Monty Burns is attractive, but more attractive than this man. <laughs> um, and he's in like a wheelchair with a little blanket and he looks grody and he doesn't want anybody touching his money. And I think he, I remember him being pretty racist. He was very racist and he slung around the F slur quite a bit. Yes. And I think he also grabbed some women's asses and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, definitively not a good guy. And he's being mean to Brewster because Br- he drops his big wad of cash. And Brewster starts picking it up and he takes his gun out and he's like, I'll kill you for touching my money. And the money starts flying away. And Brewster's just kind of standing there and then a bird shits on the guy's head. And then... And he dies. <laughs> but, you know, because the next scene is him rolling down the highway. Yeah, but he's already dead. Is he? I assume so. Is that... Was he rolling to a hospital? I assumed that he had, like... I don't know. He definitely was stricken with something when he got shit on. Um, And then... Well, I feel like the way that the poop happens is... I don't know. It's a signifier for somebody getting killed, but then we never see them actually get killed. We never see anybody kill them. Well, I feel like they're somehow... If if what's-her-face is really fairy godmother lady... Bird lady talking to the birds, and the birds are, like, marking them, basically. She, yeah, and she then she does some 
I don't know, invisible they're magic. They're marking their protect- on the Well, no, it can't be magic, because one of them, they were like, this guy was choked. So. Yeah, but, she, like, she chokes him with invisible magic. That's true. That is very plausible. Or just off, off screen. Off screen. It could be invisible magic, because uh, as much as we see her drive a car for some reason, she does kind of teleport. <laughs> we see a lot of her walking around, but then she also teleports places. Just what an incredible character. But yeah, so that's the old but man. The, the old man, the old man is played by Stacy Keach yes. in Age Makeup. Yes, I love Stacy Keach, like the Michael Shannon of the seventies. <laughs> and for some reason, he's an old man here. Like, why not? But so yeah, they go in. Nobody, nobody else could they do go it. Into an old people's home. And what Sammy is posturing is that the old people were not actors. I definitely think they were. Especially, like, the reactions of the old women who, you know how Paul Thomas Anderson cast older people as actors in Phantom Thread, but they weren't. And he just needed them for their look and their skills. Paul Thomas Anderson loves Altman, so I don't see why he wouldn't do the same thing. That makes makes some sense. Also, it's probably cheaper to do that. Yeah, like, uh, we'll just go into an actual old people's home and use the old people. What else do you have in the bottom room? I only have cartoons seen. And that's specifically because Shelly's ex-boyfriend has a Porky Pig t-shirt. Oh, I wasn't sure if it was gonna, if you meant, like, cartoons, like, playing. No. Like, on TV. You know? Mm. I mean, if you wanted to, like, get me for that one, I... then you could. <laughs> but I think it counts. I think that's fair I think enough. I think that's fair enough. I expected it would end on a freeze frame, so that's why freeze frames I expected there. there to be just a freeze frame. I feel like that's a very 70s thing. Yeah. Nose injury, as much as he fell from the, the roof of the Astrodome, he did not get a nose injury. <laughs> no, his face just kind of got smushed. Yeah. Head, ha- major head injury. And then firelight. There were, there were very few night scenes. Good. Good. <laughs> Nobody can light night scenes in a way that I'm interested in watching. I think that's untrue of the 70s. Yes, yeah, it is untrue. That There's is untrue. There's a lot of day for night. There's a lot of, like, brown-tinged night scenes. Which look very nice and are much more visible than anything we're seeing lately. Day for Night kills me a little bit, though. I like it. I like cheesy, cheesy things. I do. Uh, my my like main touch point for Day for Night is um. Now I'm gonna forget the name of it. I'm gonna Google it first. Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> my touchstone for Day for Night is the original Clash of the Titans. Really? Because. <laughs> I have such a vivid memory of watching it when I was, like, very young, and him being outside at night, apparently, and there being, like, a giant fat fucking sun in the sky. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they would keep cutting up to, like, the wide shot. It's the moon. The sun, like, clearly there, and it would be, like, bright light and then they would cut back and it would just be extremely blue <laughs> and it was the same scene so I'm always like Ugh. <laughs> yikes but that's like an example of it being done poorly whereas you know there are many examples I don't want I don't want to bash Clash of the Titans though it, when uh. do you, you mean the the one with the Ray Harryhausen effect yeah of course oh, I love those <laughs> Of course, I was. I went to a Ray Harryhausen exhibit, even 
as a child, I was like, this is absurd to me (laughs) in my little brain that does not understand (laughs) how movies work or how old filmmaking works. The owl, especially. We love the owl. Yeah, no no day for night in Brewster McLeod. We haven't spoken enough about Shelley. She was great, which is a given. Also, very fun. Just, like, very interesting. Very cool female character. Yeah, she was empowered. She had a unique skill. (laughs) Empowered. She had her own little story. And I liked her other introduction where she's showing people around doing the tour of the Astrodome. Because that felt very real. She has, like, very, like, she could be modern TV girl energy. Yeah, and her outfits as well. Oh my god, her outfits are perfect. Her makeup is perfect. I keep saying energy and then comparing to something <laughs> from now, which is horrible. It's to make it more accessible. Because this is this could be a film that is not accessible to people in the face value viewing of it. That's true. But I she, yeah, I remember being really struck where I was like, she seems really modern. Yeah. But I feel like that's also something we're talking about. The 70s is a decade again. And tying it all back. Yeah, absolutely. we're supposed to. More, uh, interesting. More weird, interesting female characters in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Like, weird is the word. Saying things like weird, unique, empowered, it just seems like this is where we've come from the 70s. You know, imagine the likes of Jane Fonda a, a decade before you can't really <laughs> even oh, 60s not. films aren't this unique and strange and they give room for women to do very original weird shit gotta be do weird shit yeah just like weird shit <laughs> let ladies do weird shit but i guess but you weird shit before like i because in some ways i feel like she her character if made now would be very Manic pixie dream girl. I, I yeah. Bizarre. I hate to say that. In some way, I feel like if she was made now, but because she wasn't, she's just kind of cool and doing yeah. Her and the own whole thing. the whole manic pixie dream girl thing is just like one person's theory, isn't it's it? It's one person's theory. It's been. I it's think it impacted is... people's views, and it does have some veracity. But like, I don't know. It's reductive. It is. Re- <laughs> but I feel like that's just how we see the world now. It's a shame, but there aren't that really that many chances or opportunities for women in cinema to be weird and unique. I guess it's mostly just because it's from a male perspective when it happens. Exactly! It's it's that. I think it's also probably just because more men in real life are like that (laughs) to weird women. Yeah. So yeah, but it, as, mu- it as much as like universal. how wonderful it is that in this film, which is named after its lead male character, that we get these three very unusual women characters, who really they kind of shape the story even more oh, than he just has. So cool! Like it's it's Shelley's character's decision to drive him around it's Shelley's character's decision to take him home it's Shelley's character's decision to, so cool. to go into the car chase she, she has her and little then... driving gloves she stole a fucking car from a guy that she beat up for trying to sleep with her and then she's just like I'm go- just gonna become like a NASCAR racer and it's like yeah you become a NASCAR racer that would be sick 
she does like dirt racing apparently her her style's cool i oh, love her she's just a little weirdo like <laughs> it, it, it was great to see uh, you haven't seen three women i haven't seen three women you'd really like three women i know i would and that's just a, a like a shining shelly moment as well why was mr altman just so kind to shelly where Mr. Kubrick was not. <gasps> the one piece of research I did for this before watching Brewster was I watched the Altman documentary from 2014. That was, it wasn't the most like elaborate documentary. It didn't really go into much detail about the films. It was mostly narrated by members of his family and they were just kind of talking about how warm he was, how like when he was on set, he was trying to make that into a family. And that really comes across, I think, in the majority of his films. But here as well, in Brewster. Yeah. And in the treatment of yeah. Shelley Duvall. <laughs> yes. I always get into a strange position with, like, speculating about filmmakers' mental states. <laughs> but, I don't know, he seems like, as much as he's got this singular vision and the technical kind of specificity... Uh, you know, he's not sacrificing people's humanity and making these things. They're very humanistic stories. It's true. Like, he's almost the opposite of Kubrick, really. In many ways. On the white man scale. <laughs> not on the white man scale. I think you're right. I don't know, I just love Shelley and it's nice to see her thrive. It really, it really is. It really is nice to see her thrive. Oh yeah, that was one thing. I took one screenshot from the Altman documentary and it's from the start of it. And it's a little intertitle of a definition of the word Altman-esque. <laughs> and there's three definitions. It's number one is characterized by naturalism, social criticism, subversion of genre. Number two is not conforming to predictable norms. And number three is indestructible. Indestructible. I think quite nice. Interesting. <laughs> How nice to be called That's indestructible. That's a very nice compliment. In documentary. <laughs> The first two, I think we saw them in Brewster. Yeah. With what you were saying about how streamers feels different. I don't know. I feel like, especially with Brewster, this is where he was trying to uh, step away from the filmmaking that he knew because he did a lot of work in TV. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of trying to experiment more. And then he's, I would say, because this is in 1970, he, he's establishing this style here in Brewster but M.A.S.H. is before Brewster, so maybe it's, like, in both of those films, because M.A.S.H. did so well, and then Brewster w did not do very well, or as well. <laughs> and yet he... I know that he... It was one of his own favourites. It is one of his own favourites? Yeah. I did not know that. I've done some reading. <laughs> yeah, I know you do research. Now I'm just... I'm very distracted by the reception yeah. portion of Wikipedia. Like, if you compare M.A.S.H. and Brewster... Well, very different. Although, I mean, obviously, I have no... I, what surprised you? I have no real solid knowledge of M.A.S.H. the movie. My, my knowledge is of M.A.S.H. the TV show. But that's another reason why, it, why this is a perfect first episode. <laughs> Why? Because the people know that I'm MASH fan? You know what you're talking about. What? MASH. <laughs> MASH? MASH. MASH. I found this really interesting little illustration 
on the Austin Film website. And it calls it the second best film of the year (laughs) in a review. That's a good review. It's got a lot of accolades on this. This is just basically made of accolades. I I feel like it's one of those movies where I really don't know a lot of people who know it slash seen it. And I guess I found about it through found out about it through a wonderabout way. So I'm not surprised it didn't do great. But I'm also in some ways surprised it's not more of like a cult favorite. Oh yeah, it absolutely should be. I mean it's just so unique and well, even for the why? time. It's because I see pictures of Shelley in that movie, or like on like the set of that movie, this movie, that movie. Brewster. <laughs> you know what I mean? All, all the time, I see pictures of her from it. Yeah. From people who are also Shelly fans. Are the Shelly fans watching this film, though? I don't think they are. I don't think they are, which is very interesting. But The Tumblr Shelly fans. The Tumblr Shelly fans. Even Twitter Shelly fans are... I'll see them, like, you'll be, like, photo from Brewster McLeod, or just be, like, photo of Shelley Duvall. And I'm, like, no! Yeah, the really cute one where yeah. she's eating cotton candy. But then they'll just tag it, or whatever. You'll just see it somewhere on the internet. It's just a picture of her, and I'm, like, I'm pretty sure this is from a movie. And it is. And nobody seemed to have seen that movie, even though we all know she's in it, and she looks really cute in it. Which is sort of funny, because usually when that's true it becomes a little cult classic in little groups but it just hasn't i guess yeah so would you recommend that the shelly fans actually watch this movie at least her parts i mean <laughs> the shelly supercut <laughs> shelly supercut i'm not a person who likes to do that because i think i'm too much of a completionist so it drives me crazy yeah i don't want to miss stuff oh i hate it oh and i hate like not knowing the context of things I need to know. <laughs> so, if, like, you're truly a Shelly super fan, whatever, watch a super cut. Maybe it'll get you invested retroactively. I would say just straight up, straight up watch it. <laughs> just straight up watch it. It's It's got something for everybody. It's got something for everybody. I'd say... Weird, weird bird people. Birdie fans watch it. Birdie fans. Fans of Steve McQueen. No. Fans of, like, uh... I'm a fan of Steve McQueen. I'm a fan of Steve McQueen. And I always have been. And I appreciate the homage. But I would not watch... I would not seek this out as a fan of Steve McQueen. That's sad, because that whole character is his thing, is he wants to be Steve McQueen. I know. (laughs) He he failed so much. He did fail so much. It's... I have to say, anybody who tries to be Steve McQueen, probably including myself, <laughs> would fall short, and I don't know why. He just has a je ne sais quoi. <laughs> but seeing, I know, Damian Lewis play him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a complete affront to me, so... It was. He did not do a very good job. Um, he does not look like him. No! Whatsoever. Damien Lewis has, like, a long, skinny face. Steve McQueen has the most round face I've ever seen on yeah. the man. Like, Daniel Craig looks ex- close, but no. No, they don't. They don't. There's just something weird about him. He's a man to his own. 
so can't be captured. I cannot, cannot be captured. I appreciate that this little character was trying very hard, but he failed. He did. But if you like seeing people get the better of police, definitely watch it. Yes. Hate them. Mr. Altman said, fuck, fuck cops. cops. He was bright. If you're a Bud Court fan, like I am, oh yeah, watch it because he's got like almost next to no movies, which is very sad. If you're a Wes Anderson fan, watch this. If you like films about animals, <laughs> watch this. If you want to live, it's actually a very good film for quarantine because Brewster lives in a tiny little room by himself. He gets out quite a lot, though. But he doesn't get out of the dome at the end. He he yes, at the end he he dies. But he get he goes to the park and the zoo, and he goes to he goes to Astro World. That was interesting when you were speaking about Astro World. Yes. Because you're into dead theme parks. <laughs> Not just dead theme parks. I'm into all theme parks. But Astroworld is famous for being a dead theme park. Um, and also Travis Scott's album and name of his tour. I don't know. Is he from Texas? Maybe. I don't know. I, it's, definitely like a dire- it, it's definitely a reference to like the theme park because the font is the same and everything. Is Travis Scott a Brewster fan? I'm gonna say... Or just a theme park fan. Theme park fan? He, he's watching Defunctland. Ooh, Defunctland <laughs> shout-out! We're legit now, we've got shout-outs. But, yeah, so it's interesting to see it. For, yeah, if you're a theme park fan, although it's not fair, in it for very long, that is a very famous theme park to all my fellow theme park heads. What's famous about it? It was just very, very successful. Like, um... Very successful, very Did popular. Did it have any unique rides? Oh, I don't know. Off the top, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I won't ask you these theme park I have, questions. I know more about <laughs> other theme parks. Not Astroworld. What I okay. know, though, is that the thing was it was kind of surprising that it closed, and I'm pretty sure it was because of, like, not, like, ticket sales, but, like, bigger business money issues, you know, where it's coming from mm. up top. So, it's kind When of, did it close? Let me look. Astro World. So it is kind of interesting to see places that don't exist anymore in, in yeah, film. Yeah, like, I feel like the way you feel about theme parks is the way I feel like about both film locations that were real and, like, old clubs. Old clubs. <laughs> I do feel that way about old clubs. Yeah. Oh, so it was, a, it was a Six Flag. It was owned by Six Flags. It officially closed on in 2005. Oh, that's quite late. I, I thought when you brought it up that it would have closed around the era. <laughs> right? I, I, I think it had a period of, like, off time for a while. It looks wonderful in this film. It does look wonderful. And I particularly like the font that they use. <laughs> I love theme parks and movies, generally, because they're really colorful. So how many Freddy boxes did this take as a film? Freddy bo- well, now I want to make a Freddy box thing. You should. You should. That would be great. <laughs> well, now I have to. I don't know. I mean, it checked a few boxes. We should both make boxes. As our, physical like, boxes to check. Physical, yes, I'll make my own bingo. We'll make our own bingos and trade. Yeah, I'm thinking of doing more bingos for other films. But I feel like I was able to do that from having seen... I would love that. A, well, quite a few Altman films. How many Altman films have I, I seen? I just do research. It's fine. Let me see. 
We can do. We can do it. I've seen fifteen out of fifty-five Altman films, apparently. But I think some of those are shorts. I'm gonna list my faves of the decade. Okay. Because we won't be rewatching things for a while, <laughs> and some of them are very long. Like that's one of his things that I could have put on a bingo card. It's like runtime of over two hours. <laughs> yeah. This one was not so good news for people who don't like extremely long runtimes. Like me. It was very cozy though. It was very cozy. Like I just I was snugly watching this film. Oh yeah, that's a good word and to it felt describe. Like it. very tangibly warm. <laughs> <laughs> all of all of the, the right. Texas exteriors looked warm and palpable and the quality of the film was nice. <laughs> I I tried to find out what it was shot on, but I'm I'm I couldn't find anything. I didn't look I assume no, I don't want to finish that statement. I don't want to assume. <laughs> you, you don't want to seem uneducated. uneducated. <laughs> we don't even have a listener base yet. I don't want no. the image of people coming to me <laughs> and being like, no, no, no. But this whole thing is about exploring and accepting that you don't know things. That's true. We're learning about the era through the medium of film. But as... I don't want to. I don't want to act like I don't know about film because I did take a film class. One. <laughs> one. I took one film class. So you took many that. film classes. Oh, I mean like physical film. Physical film. Mm-hmm. I've taken many film classes, as in film, as in movies. But I've only taken one film class, as in film, as in the physical medium. Yes. On which this was probably shot. Yeah. We'll find out more about that, I'm sure. The list, there's 13 films released in the era that we're covering, the 70s. And I've seen 7 of 13. So I don't really have many left, which is a shame. (laughs) But I'm sure we'll talk about them at some point. It's it's been... Why haven't we? I don't know. (laughs) We haven't really talked about many other Altman films. But I don't feel like it was very comparable to many of them. I don't think it was very... Comparable to many films, period. Which I guess is why it was entertaining to watch. Yeah. It wasn't like anything else I'd seen recently, even from the era. At least I know for me, I get so fatigued and will often stop watching movies if I, like, know what happens in it. Like, not, not, <laughs> I know what happens in, it in terms of, like, I, the, it's been spoiled for me or I know the plot. But, like, if I can immediately figure out the direction it's going in, sometimes it stresses me out so much. What's the most recent film that you've done that to? I don't know. I could tell you the one that I that I think of all the time, which is going to be okay. a big deep cut, um, is one of the, I think there's three, one of the Drake and Josh movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I was expecting. No, I know. <laughs> one of the Drake and Josh movies. I have such a vivid memory of being excited for it to air, like, clearing my schedule as a child for the air date, and, like, within the first, like, 15 minutes of setup, you know, their phones get switched, their briefcases get switched or something on a plane, and I, and one of them gets lost or something, and I, like, turned it off, because I was like, I can't. I can't watch this You've unfold this exactly how I know it's going to unfold. Um, this is just, just home alone. Formulaic way. 
Um, <laughs> what never... a massive disappointment. It was a massive disappointment. So there's some movies like that where it just, it just completely eats me alive. But this one... I don't know. I can't even turn off a bad movie. I, I just need to roast it. I can... Oh, I can sit through bad movies. But I don't... My attention span will go. Unless it's really funny. I find that more with TV. Like, I can easily just shut TV off and not continue with it. But this was all completely unexpected. So I paid attention the whole time. So... Yeah. And it really, like, speaks of how filmmakers of the era, even in 1970, are trying to experiment and picking up where the 60s left off. I just wish... There is experimental film now, obviously. That's stupid. I just wish there was more... Like <laughs> that sentence could end there. I just wish there was more. Yeah, I wish there were more modern experimental films that got a wide release in cinema. And I don't even mean like ex- very experimental. I mean even very lightly in the way this is like. Yeah, like there's a lot of art films and tiny indie films that are... they just don't get the same play. No, at all. But then you get on the the flip side of that you get like the likes of midsummer which are called experimental but aren't oh my god i wish we could have an episode talking about that but then (laughs) nobody will ever listen to this everyone will turn on us yeah that's true maybe let's not rip into midsummer on this 1970s film podcast (laughs) (laughs) even though we're right but whatever we are definitely right but yeah we're not really right. We'll, we'll get into it when we talk about, like, films about cults or something. Oh, I'd love to watch a film about a cult. Yes, there are many. I think, I guess, what, what I crave of, like, the 70s film wave is um, just more original content. Mm-hmm. But we get that in spades. Oh, in 70s or now? 70s. Oh, in the 70s, yeah. I wish now we had this, more Yeah, this is content. the reason why we're watching these films is because we're not getting what we want from cinema that is made now. <laughs> yeah. I just want... More freedom for artists. Yes, and this is what the era was about. And I have to say, because I would be remiss without mentioning it, and it's topical. Oh. Um, I know, it's topical, but I, like, I, I have no idea in what direction Hollywood's going to come from after this. Uh, I've had some people tell me that they think it's gonna, it's gonna boom, and we're gonna Oh, after get, like, the Rona. After the Rona. I hope so. Well, I've had people tell me it's gonna boom in, like, a 1920s depression era sort of way. So, a lot of, like, very expensive films being made about positive subjects. Yes. That would be nice. There's been too much, like, dour, depressing... <laughs> dour stuff. Realistic, gritty... Uh, boring. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm worried that my my fear is that, well, first of all, that could not happen and it could just, every community could just be out of a job, which I don't think will happen. No, 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 no. But that's no. a fear. That's definitely a fear. But my fear in terms of, like, it booming is that it's gonna default that, like, our version of... Um, or, like, not ours, but, like, the modern American version of what the big, like, Busby Berkeley films were is our shitty blockbusters. So we're gonna go from, uh, 
superhero films right back to superhero that, films. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Or not just superhero films, but, like, I'm trying to think of other crappy blockbusters. A lot of them. Just, I'm worried it's going to become even harder to break into that. That's my fear. I hope I hope that the opposite happens and we get tiny, tiny films. Because I've seen a lot of, like, people... You know, there's a load of grants at the moment for people to make films. <laughs> and it's so strange because how are you going to leave? <laughs> how are you going to leave and make a film with people one, who aren't from your house? person like monologues. Yeah. But yeah, so I hope, I hope but it's But if like... those grants can be used afterwards, that would be a really nice way of, you know, funding tiny films. And there were so many film festivals that haven't been able to go ahead. No, oh. Which I'm terribly upset about. The first year I get accredited, to Cannes, I, know. I can't go. I can't believe it. I feel like I I brought on the Rona. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. But why well, you should be or like excited? Well, the guy who who runs Can, <laughs> he has been interviewed and he said like, if I have to go ahead with it on December thirty first of twenty twenty, I will. So it might happen at some point. You will get to Can. Yeah. Physically, somehow. Yes. But... I will see some films. Yeah, my hope... That was my fear. My hope is that we get, I don't know, another experimental period in Hollywood history. It would be interesting. That is that is yet to be seen. Mm. Like, what are all these technology companies doing while they're sort of shuttered? People are still going to come up with ideas for new and accessible things. That's the hope. That is the hope. I've been reading a lot about Steven Soderbergh today <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> oh, it's because I watched Ocean's Eleven. You claimed 70s <laughs> film directors. I was not Soderberg. doing my homework today. I was doing something else. You were, you were slacking off. I was watching off. Ocean's Eleven and having a good time. That's fair enough. Because of Elliot Gould, though. Like, Elliot Gould is my corona buddy. He's your... <laughs> You're going to have to follow him to Friends. <laughs> maybe once you're cross to bear oh maybe but speaking really... of Elliot Gould I was going to go through my list of film, like Altman faves oh of, yes of Altman faves let's hear it so with that in mind they're very Gould heavy <laughs> of course I've only seen MASH once and I think it was when I was in either very early college or late high school and I didn't enjoy it interesting but that was because of its, like, out-and-out misogyny. Yep. <laughs> uh, but, like, that, with hindsight, I'm aware now that that comes from Elliot Gould, mainly. <laughs> so, uh, MASH is actually quite far down on my list, and out of the seven that I've watched, I might put it seventh. Fair enough. I've never seen it to say. We should watch it, though, because I, I do want to rewatch it, because I don't remember one single thing about it, apart from the bit where Elliot says something like get your tits out of the room to one of the nurses <laughs> and i'm like oh great well is he is he hawkeye or trapper he's trapper john do you know why he's called trapper john i'm sure you do i actually don't <laughs> is it because he traps women yes because he's a pussy trap <laughs> yes yeah but that's a horrible reason to be called anything <laughs> Ugh. I... it's nasty I love his moustache, though. I want people out there, I want the listeners to perceive me as, I've like, full 70s, you know, shirt open, medallion, big moustache. 
Who's to say you're not right now? It's a more accurate version. After MASH, it might be McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Interesting. Which is pretty low. And I did enjoy it. We watched that together. We watched that together? Like a while ago now. We did, I'm sure. What? No, I've never seen it. I'm sure it was you and me. I've never, really? I've never seen it. Who did I, I watch it with? I don't know. But I... What? <laughs> I was, I've logged it. What does it say? Oh, it was with James. I like that you hallucinated it was me. I thought it was you. I thought you were there. It just seems like a very you film. But Is that true? I feel like I've avoided it feeling like it's... I'm calling it very you because it has a, like... A very, very similar vibe to Butch Cassidy. Oh, well then. Even visually. Then yes, it would be a very me film. Mm. I have to say my biggest regret is Butch's, um, I think it's 69. Yeah. So we can't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's not in I know. <laughs> I know. Because. It's horrible. This is, this I could, is the problem. I could talk about Butch and Sinister earlier, so. We need a whole other podcast. <laughs> Well, we're just talking about Butch and Sundance. I'm saying the early years is 79, so I have a little, I have a little leeway. Yeah, and isn't there like the, is Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid 70s? Is it? It That's might be. Similar. I feel like all, I keep thinking of. Well, there's a whole bunch of 70s westerns. Uh-oh, all Paul Newman movies. And Paul Newman movies. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> What I remember of that film, I watched it for Fartbury, <laughs> which was the like romantic February uh, challenge that James and I did, and it was not very romantic at all. <laughs> but it was <laughs> beautifully tried. shot. It. I just, you know, the one compliment you can give many films is just that they look good. What's the What's the rest of your list? After that, I think it's Nashville, because. I think that may have been the first 70s Altman that I've seen. And I watched it in high school or college. And, you know, that that being the entry into, like, the overlapping dialogue, the multiple, the millions of characters, the scenes that don't connect, I feel like that's a really good entry into his filmography. So I'm going to put that right in the middle. <laughs> right in the middle. And then uh, Three Women. And up until recently, I might have put this really high. It's very, like, Paris, Texas. Interesting. It's got that whole, like, really almost fairy tale vibe. And Shelley and Sissy are both perfect. And the only thing wrong with it is that they're not in love with each other. <laughs> of course. Like, no spoilers. <laughs> Unfortunate. And then Brewster. <laughs> Like, I, I enjoyed it that much that I would place it there. That high? Mm. But that might just be because I've seen it recently. I mean, I did really enjoy it, so I would not be surprised, because I think we had the same rating. Yeah. And then, also based on, like, um, no, in fact, California Split, which, I don't know, out of the ghoul performances I've seen recently might be his best performance, but then uh, The Longer Goodbye at the top. Interesting. But California Split and Longer Bye, I could easily swap those around. Well, yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. I, know, I feel like it's a very standard list. <laughs> but it's also, like, a lot of people would put MASH right at the top. Would they? 
Yeah, it's so universally loved. That's true. I guess that is true. I've got a distance from it, though. I feel like the TV show's overtaken it by so much, though. Yeah, yeah. At least in my experience, in which it has completely overtaken it. <laughs> we need to watch more of the show. We do. It's so good. But I can't talk about that now because it's TV. <laughs> <laughs> but he was involved. How involved was he? I don't know. I feel like he directed episodes, didn't he? Let's have a look on IMDb. I don't think so. I know Mr. Alan Alda. I don't know why I said his name weird. Alan Alda directed quite a few episodes, um, including some very, very good ones. Let's see. Which, which ones did he do? Now I can't remember off the top of my head, but... There's definitely ones... No, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You're I... wrong? I knew it. I knew it. I knew he had, like, very little involvement. I feel, I feel like he did something on them. I, I know the theme song comes from the movie. Um. Yeah, and his son wrote that. His son wrote the theme song. Yeah. And it actually has lyrics in the movie, but it doesn't have lyrics in the TV show. Only... Oh, here's my fact. The only character who is in both the movie and, like, the same actor in both the movie and the TV show as Radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's the one, that's the thing I know off the top of my head. That's such a weird choice. <laughs> About MASH? No, I don't know. That makes... I don't know, we love Radar, though. We love Radar. He's one of my faves. I know my favorite character is not in the movie, um, which is maybe why I've put watching it off, but... I do love Elliot Gould. Yeah, well, Elliot's playing, like, his version of that character. <laughs> no. In a sense. Like, there he's is a replacement. A trapper. Yeah. Well, there's a trapper in the TV show. There is. Yeah, the first two seasons. I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> in the, the first two seasons, it's Trapper John. That's true. And then he gets replaced. And then Trapper leaves to go back to America and gets replaced by BJ. Um, yeah. My boy, who's on it for much longer than Trapper. I still do like Trapper and appreciate him, but he does leave. And Potter. Potter, the most long-standing commanding officer, who is not from the movie, who replaces the first CO who is based on the movie, who dies. And this is just boring. I was just listing MASH. Comparing <laughs> the MASH... <laughs> well, well done for calling yourself out <laughs> thank you wow what what a name i'm just we're both just reading mash facts now because trapper john's full name is john francis xavier mcintyre yep that's elaborate for some reason i knew that okay i feel like we've exhausted have we exhausted everything about brewster <laughs> we can't have I don't know. I feel like we've had a pretty, we've had a pretty good talk about it, though. I think. I don't know. It felt surface level to me. <laughs> for a start, okay, get deep, get deep, Sammy. So, Freddie. Uh, yeah. These are all kind of the same questions, so I'll, I'll just say them all, and then you can pick one to answer. Question: What stood out for you? What is your defining image or moment from the film? What is your favorite moment of this film, and what did you enjoy the most? Um. They're all the same question. What stood out the most? What defined it the most? 
I think that I really liked when you flew, honestly. Um, because it was kind of, it was kind of horrible. It was kind of horrible to see. Yeah, like, you're expecting this uplifting moment, and then it just becomes agonizing. <laughs> Very it quickly. Was, yeah. Because it gets out of control. But I like, I don't know, I liked it because, like I say, it was unexpected. Because I feel like it, for a movie that also ends on such a weirdly whimsical note, um... And when I'd say it has other qualities of whimsy to it, weirdly dark, <laughs> but also very kind of, I don't know, I'm a big, I'm a big sucker, like I think most people are, for fucking Icarus, Daedalus, metaphors, um, so I love that. I also, yeah. as, as I was thinking about Birdie, he does fly a flying contraption in Birdie, and it goes much better for him. He is also much less ambitious, so it was kind of interesting to see how like do you think birdie know, was inspired was, by Brewster? how horrible it was and it was also just like very nicely shot it just looked very cool i loved him living i loved the whole sequence where shelly is touring everybody around and he's dodging the security guard to go live in his little um like fallout shelter house nobody went in there at any point <laughs> apart from people who knew he was already there yes that was a great sequence i think that also stood out to me i i love weird location based yeah like what if somebody lived in here mm. like that kind of thing yeah uh my favorite moments of the film i should probably give those yes i would like to hear them the whole of the car chase <laughs> i loved it I love a car chase. I asked for a jump. He gave me many little jumps. That was great. As you're saying, the it's shot extremely nicely. All the costumes are beautiful. Uh, the colors, color palettes really nice and sort of like primary colors, which you don't see that often. Oh, I love the primary colors. Uh, another reason why I <laughs> thought it was a kid's movie. I like the side stories and how they built up this really, as you say, whimsical world. And it it felt, as much as it ended quite tragically, it, optimistic. It is very optimistic. Yeah, like Altman is an optimistic person, it seems. And when I was calling him a humanist earlier, it seems that he just takes a great joy in, you know, seeing people uh, get the better of other people <laughs> in the sense <laughs> that, like, they're trying to live freely and creatively and uniquely and not being shutted in by the system or by society and that's kind of nice i do I think that... go ahead oh i didn't mean to step on you cute no i want to hear what you th- what you think you think that i was gonna say i think that that is a nice way to enter the era as well i think yeah i think you're right thank you i was just gonna say as you know mm. um about me but I love like I hate saying magical realism because it's such like a sounds like such a non like fiction book specific term in my mind even though it's well, not what good what I would Gilbert like, Del Toro think of Bruce McLeod <laughs> he'd probably like it I think he probably would like it actually I compared it to Shape of Water like three times. Yeah. But I love, I do love movies where almost everything is like very, it's very grounded in the real world. But yeah, very bright, 
and colorful and vibrant and still kind of weird in very definitively not real world ways. But things that are still like vaguely plausible. I just love, I love movies like that. And I think that is a glut of things that happens in the 70s. That's why part of the reason I love Harold and Maude. Yeah. And definitely, at least personally, always kind of what I strive to make is things that are just a little bit weird. I don't think I can ever make something that's completely normal. No, I agree. Same. <laughs> it's not fun, but I, I love when things are still like very grounded in like a recognizable world. You know? Yeah, like, he literally lives in a, in a landmark. He literally lives in a landmark. But, like, it's still normal Texas. They're still driving around in their fucking yeah. cars and traffic. But he also wants to be... Yeah. He also made wings, and it's, like, good good for him. Yeah. Become a bird person, little man. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> it's, like, my, mild surrealism. I think it's quite surreal. Especially when it cuts to the lecturer. Well, that's true. None of the lecturers. I was trying to find comedy connections. Yeah, but I was trying to find connections between what he was saying and what we were seeing, and there weren't that many. Like even in the bits where you know you see uh, Brewster and Shelley sleeping together, and then he's talking about like uh, the mate of the grebe or whatever, <laughs> the mating cycle of the grebe. Like the only one I can think of concretely is when he's talking over when um his like the angel lady comes to save him from like getting pot pinned on him yeah but even just the presence of the angel lady is very surreal like angels in surreal cinema they're quite a theme it's true and it reminded me as well of wings of desire which i really love and it's got the same sort of vibe as, as a Wenders movie. It does. It does. It would be a nice double feature with Wings of Desire. <laughs> or or Birdie. Birdie. Oh, that's my that's my pick for the double feature. <laughs> I think this one first and then Birdie, in my opinion. Yeah. Just going by eras. Oh no, I think going by mood. So you wanna be uplifted. And then... Or you you want to be crushed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you want to you want to hear a great Peter Gabriel score. And you want to see Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage... You should watch Birdie. <laughs> Nicolas Cage is, is good in it. He's that's very good That's all I have to it. say. He's very good in it. So that's my double feature pick. If you're interested in watching Rooster McLeod. I feel like you should... Triple feature it with Wings of Desire. Or double feature it with Wings of Desire. I guess double feature it with anything... That a vaguely bird-related title. The birds. Wings. <laughs> yeah, that's our suggestion. No, 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 no. Uh, the birds. No. <laughs> that's what you said. I was laughing at you. <laughs> we talked about themes. I really liked your mentioning of uh, the Icarus myth. Thank you. Because I actually hadn't considered that, even though he's building a pair of wings. He is building a pair of wings. He was punished like Icarus. I'm a sucker for that, even though, as I said, it's very overplayed. But I also... 
I guess it's sort of, but it ties into who's not, and I'm going to say it wrong again because I really don't know the correct pronunciation, of, of Daedalus, Daedalus, Daedalus. He's really the one who builds the wings, so I guess you could see he's a little bit of both. Yeah, he's his own parents. <laughs> he's his own parent, which is kind of interesting because I feel like most people usually just focus on Icarus in that myth, which is not to say that it's, it's because he's like, I think everybody thinks he's like a little twink or something but <laughs> you know I think everybody's like Icarus is gay and I'm gay and I love Icarus um, okay I'm gay and make stupid decisions that's my don't you think don't you think that's why people on the internet have latched on to it I think that's why definitely is people are like, like people of ancient <laughs> Greek twinks people are like oh he's like he he's gay and makes stupid decisions I think that the full myth though with his his grouchy dad and all the construction is underutilized, so I am always happy to see reference to it. Well, that it delivered. <laughs> it's my very specific. It ticked your boxes again. It ticked my boxes again, and I didn't even realize it until now. I feel like it ticked my boxes. Car chases, etc. Characters, <laughs> pretending car to be chases, other characters. Car chases being your. <laughs> You're tough. They're really high on the list. Uh, but a car chase that's, you know, it moves the plot along. It's not just there for show. Even though it was very long. That felt very, like, French New Wavy as Blues well. Blues Brothers is my top car chase for me still in, in yeah, movies. Yeah, it did feel quite Landis-y. It did feel quite Landis-y. But, uh... What would Landis think of Brewster McLeod? I don't know. I'm just... I'm... I'm just putting people in Google and asking. <laughs> Brewster McLeod. <laughs> I'm probably going to listen to this and, and think that we could go into it even deeper. Because we've not really talked about like technical aspects or... I feel like I feel like this is not the worst one to not do a huge technical dive into almost. Why? Because... Why? I feel like we're doing Altman a disservice I think... because I, I really love him as a filmmaker. That's true. We could come back to him, though. We will. But I feel like if you talk technically about Nash or something, or even The Long Goodbye, even though I know you don't want to do free watches, but... I would love to, for gold reasons. We do have to, for gold reasons. I feel like those ones almost work better for that, because more people probably have, even if they haven't seen it, have visual reference for it in their heads. Yeah, but I, I feel, feel like, like that's the nobody... reason... Don't Why? we have to talk about Brewster McLeod? Yeah, well, that's the reason, because nobody's seen it. It's like, well, you've got to conjure up it's what true. it is that makes it so special, apart from, like, these certain scenes happen. <laughs> although, to, although, to me, at least in, in my opinion, because I obviously completely forgot to check off all the technical boxes on our bingo, my, what stood out to me about Brewster McLeod most, I think was the story and the characters. Definitely unique characters and a unique story in a unique location. Well, those were the Uniquely presented. It's all very unique. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if, if you're not uh, familiar with Altman, then definitely give this one a shot. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> I do agree. <laughs> Just leave me hanging. <laughs> I don't know. I agree. I should. You should have figured out that I agreed by now. The whole point of you being here as a guest host is that you make noises. 
I've been making a lot of noises, I think. Okay. But good. I also don't want to make too many noises and overshadow your points. I no. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. <laughs> well I could prove you wrong. It would be funny. It would be <laughs> And I expected that you would anyway, so like you know, if you do, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I, I thought you'd be like really excited to talk about bug court. <laughs> I am. I am excited to. But the thing, I guess, the thing about um. I I guess that's the thing I was disappointed is I thought he was gonna be in a more. I thought he was gonna. He do didn't more. have much dialogue. He didn't really like. We didn't learn much about him as a character. We didn't learn much about him as a character. But I think is, that's what made. Is that the point? Is there a need? There isn't a need, but I think I thought it was going to be more like a character piece about him, and it's not, and I was selfish and wanted it to be, so I don't actually think you need to know more about him, and I don't think you even really want to. It's like myth-making, isn't it, really? Like, how you've brought up Icarus. It's like, he already feels like a mythic person. Yeah, like the, the girl story. who fucking jacks off to him. Yeah, she idolizes <laughs> like, him. How do they even idolizes know each him? Other? <laughs> I, I assume that they'd met in school. I, yeah, I guess I would assume that too, but still, what a weird role. Mm, <laughs> what a weird She brings him food, and then they do things separately. It's organic food. Well, he doesn't really do anything. <laughs> no, he's not interested. No, I don't really know much about Bud Court. And as I said, I'm mostly just annoyed that he didn't do more stuff in the 70s, in this, in this prime. In his prime. But I think, as I said, I think if he was around as a young person now, he probably would. What is he doing now at the moment? Like, nothing. I know he's in, the, the last thing I can think of that he was in is being, like, an old man in a hospital in Dogma. <laughs> um, the Kevin Smith movie Dogma. Right. That's quite a while ago. Which was quite a while ago. But he's really he really hasn't been in that much. Fifty films according to Letterboxd. Fifty? But a lot of them he's like small parts. Yeah. Like if you'll if you can look down on Letterboxd, a lot of times he's like very much at the bottom. In the Oh, he was great in The Life Aquatic. Yes. I love that movie so much. That's my favorite Wes. I think mine is Moonrise Kingdom. I don't know. I'm always just chasing... I think I'm always just chasing the high of watching Harold and Maude. That's just how I have to live my life from now on, apparently. (laughs) Well, did this... This this gave you, like, a fix? It gave me more of a birdie fix, which I didn't know I needed, but I guess I did. Because that is another movie that I, I... I guess I try to chase the high of seeing and expecting nothing of and then mm. wind up really loving <laughs> and also becoming very formative. I feel like this is not going to be... Yeah. I don't know. Aesthetically, as I said, I would be... Oh, my God. If I had any money to do anything, I would love to have an end credit scene. Yes. <laughs> like this. I know we've said it already, but I can't tell you how true it is that I would blow. S- we should make it happen. We should make we it should. happen. I would blow so much money just to do that. Because it's. I guess <laughs> But you wouldn't thing. do a circus. What would you do? I don't know. I like the circus, though. But you hate clowns. I like everybody coming out in crazy makeup. You could do a Halloween themed one very well. Do a Halloween. I think part of it, and 
this will expose my little, the, the part of my life in which I was a theater kid. But Pippin, which I love I haven't seen a Pippin. lot. Some people hate it. And those people are wrong. wrong. <laughs> um, but I know a lot of, I know theater people who hate it. So, but that has a very strong circus theme. And in the end of Pippin, and I suppose this is a spoiler, but in the end of Pippin, um, the, like, narrator, who's called the leading player, um, basically just takes down Pippin's world and, like, in the theater, literally takes, like, all the set dressing comes away. Oh, that's cool. Um, sort of just to reveal, like, the, you know, like, brick wall of the theater Mm. because it's, like, been like a troop this whole time and like he's a person who's sort of been like trapped inside like this actual like acting troupe that's cool or why wouldn't people like that i don't know in the in the like revival of it it was like a circus troupe that and they're like basically trying to get him to kill himself oh um it go he, to go to the sun he has to jump into fire to it's the icarus myth again ah. he has to jump into fire as like to make the finale of like their circus play because that's what it's been the whole time and i feel like this has some of that vibe to it which i didn't put together until 10 minutes ago it pulls Um, away the myth and what goes into making a myth but i i kind of love that i kind of love that it's like everybody comes out at the end and it's like oh like we've been acting the whole time and like although they're all straight faced which i love none of them look happy (laughs) Um, they they occupy like, those uh, circus characters completely at that moment. Yeah, like they they come out and it's just like it's been a circus the whole time. Yeah, but like Brewster's just been actually Brewster and he's dead. <laughs> um, for like and that's like the show. Yeah, and that makes him more authentic as well. I kind of love it. It's very, I don't know what word there is for it. I'm sure there is one, but it's um. I feel like it was almost believable. It's very. Despite being in such a weird world. That's a very cool, I guess, like, trope that I love. Just, like, completely tearing it down, but it's still, like, tearing it down within the world of the movie. But there is still a character who's, like, deeply affected by everything that happens. So it's not like, it was all a dream. Yeah. Because he's still dead. Oh, yeah, it was definitely not. It wasn't all a performance. uh, But it's also like, ooh. Have you got any questions that you have? like remaining <laughs> about the film that we could try and work out because there, there were I many I know what the the guardian angels deal was and I know we're not supposed to know yeah but I so much want to know like when writing it what the thought process was do you know what I mean like yeah. I want to know I'd I like don't a wanna... film about her yeah I would vibe with that and the guardian angel world. Like... That would be like, um... Oh, what's that film? It would be a bit like It's a Wonderful Life, but it would also be a bit like, um... A Matter of Life and Death. There's a lot of guardian angel worlds. There's a guardian angel in fucking Carousel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. You're on it with the musical references. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, yeah, I don't actually want to know more about her in terms of, like extended cut where there's explanation in the movie about her but I want to know Mr. 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 Altman's thoughts on what he was trying to imply 
you know? But it's it's not the prerogative of films to answer all their questions. It's not. It's not. But Is I don't it? and I don't want the film to answer It's better without them being I don't answered. want the film to answer my questions. That's not what I'm saying. I just want from like a create I want like from a creative <laughs> standpoint. Like to get in the head, you know what I mean? I don't want it to be answered in the film. I just want to know for me. I opened up a bunch of stuff before and I didn't read any of it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how life be. We've gone through the themes of the film. We've gone through some deep interpretations <laughs> and some mistaken interpretations, which was quite interesting. The conclusion I've got is, what did we learn about the 70s from this film? Huh, that's a good question. I get, I don't, I don't, it's weird. I guess for some reason the first thing that comes to mind, and maybe this is a, a product of living in New York, my, <laughs> my first stupid takeaway was I was like, man, just not as much security <laughs> in buildings. Not really, not much security or efficiency in, well, I mean, efficiency oh yeah because of that security guard man like the big game hunter just the idea of living in like i guess what would be my astrodome would be like madison square garden (laughs) just in a cupboard just in a cupboard and just the idea of even i don't know why i would take a tour around there but being able to take a tour around there like with one person guiding you around and not they're not being like 50 heavily like armed security guards feels yeah nobody's gonna walk into your room and start cleaning it yeah just feels i don't know it's just time has changed or time is yeah because in some ways it doesn't feel that 70s at all that's that's no i agree do you know what i mean like the zoo looks the same yeah as a zoo it could have been made today. We've talked about how both the weeds feel like modern characters. Yes. I think you could still pull off, like, a bullet homage. I think you could. People would still get that. I definitely that. think you could. Why not? I, I would probably try. The equivalent of that that just crossed my mind is this detective turns up and he's trying to be Ryan Gosling in Drive. <laughs> That would be your movie. That would be my version of this movie. (laughs) With this being our first one, and it's in 1970s, so we're assuming it was made in 1969. 1970s films can still feel modern. That's like our conclusion, our takeaway. I think they can feel, I think they feel sometimes more modern than, uh, and I love 80s movies, um, but for some reason, I feel like they feel more modern than a lot of 80s movies. Yeah, like, the 80s has got such a resurgence, hasn't it? As a, you know, an era and a look because of, like, the likes of Stranger Things and things like that. But also, well, bringing up Drive, you know, um, the genre films, all these really heavy 80s homaging films, they've come to the fore. But there's not a lot of, like, 70s homages happening <laughs> But I feel like just movies from that time, I mean, I, Butch Cassidy is, 60, is 69, so it's not official, but I mean, um, I feel like there's a lot of movies from the 70s that just feel... There's some broad ones. Not, I mean, like, obviously, 
70s-esque. But I mean, like, I feel like they feel less 70s than, like, an 80s movie could only be in the, exist in the 80s. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I feel like a lot of 80s movies, and as I said, I love them. I very much do. Um, like, the, the 80s vampire movies that I love more than anything, I don't think could exist in any other decade and be remotely the same like I don't think Back to the Future could have existed really in the 90s and been the same well I think is one of the things at least for me that makes it so special and one of my favorite things is sci-fi movies imagining what the future looks like and then (laughs) it being so much like this decade anyway we are in the the sci-fi future now I don't know. I feel like there's just a lot more seventies films, and I feel like I've they get shown, at least in my film school, a lot because it's sort of like this is just could be made now and be successful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that something that goes into that is like a lot of eighties movies being shot on kind of inferior technology. Yes. Whereas with these seventies films, they're all shot on film and they all look beautiful. So you could easily try and imitate that now. With either digital technology or film. Wait, actually, I want to bring out something. Wait, are you ready? Ooh. I'm going to bring out my big guns. Um, I think part of it might be that, because um, like we were saying, two leads who feel very modern, you know, modern women, and I feel like sometimes you get to the 80s and you kind of yes, have a backslide of, skin. of that, <laughs> of more regressive regressive female characters yeah lots of like music video style shots of people's bones you know why it is and i think it's because the subcultures of the 1970s align so much more with the subcultures of today we've barely even touched on that and that's exciting to me that's exciting to me because like we're gonna have so many opportunities (laughs) to actually delve into you know, how much the subcultures of the 70s have left their mark on today, especially, like, LGBTQ plus subculture. It's oh, it's huge, but also I think it's because then you have... There's so much within this era to reclaim. You have the backslide into in the 80s to, like, conservatism again, and Reaganism... Yeah. And yes, even if the movies chauvinism, chauvinism, and even if the movies aren't chauvinistic, um, because of course not yeah. all of them are. They, I feel like they very much more distinctly exist in a time, like they are yeah. all clearly affected by it. Where I feel like, I guess, seventies films feel more modern just because the times feel much more similar. So they do now. It'll be very interesting to talk about, like, the freedom of sexuality that comes in films that are about, like, you know, uh, with hippie subcultures in them, which are all about free love. But then you do get kind of, like, the negative side of that, which is that as much as we've got, like, free love, it's still extremely, like, heteronormative. (laughs) Oh, of course. Oh, of course. But I'm sure we'll find in our exploration of the era a lot of views on these films that haven't been considered It'll before. Be exciting. It's exciting. Which is why I think it's worthwhile to even do it. Yes. So I think this is a great one to start with. 
I think this is a good one to start with. Yeah, as it's like, maybe to me it felt a little bit surfacy because, like... I think like, it is, kind of. Yeah, it it is accessible in the sense that anybody could watch this and get something out of it. I think it's a lot... I don't know, like, it's not mainstream. <laughs> I feel it's not mainstream, but I feel like you're right. I feel like it's even, like, less... Not that it doesn't have its political aspects, but I feel like it's even less political than, like... Altman can be, you know, in just so many ways. It's sort of like weirdly toned down, oh, yeah, but definitely. not toned down. So I feel like, not that it's supposed to be surface level, but I feel like it's almost meant to be sort of like his popcorn movie. His version of a popcorn movie. This is like a fun, this is what you go see on a date. Yeah. I mean, at this time, but it would be a weird date. <laughs> It would be a date where it's like you watch it and neither of you are looking at each other. <laughs> You're just engrossed. Engrossed. Yeah. But isn't that what you want? Okay, I feel like we've learned a lot then. Just from this one film. I feel like we have learned a lot. And we've we've I'm we've opened up our like view of what we will experience with other films as well. I can't wait. I can't wait to watch like some Dennis Hoffman movies and westerns and sci-fi and oh, just everything. <laughs> so <laughs> should should we work out now what we will watch next? All right, what should we pick? Okay, I'm looking at your list. I am also. Uh, I think it should be from 1971, and the only one that you've got on your list with it's a date s- some of my best friends are yeah and that would get us right away into really deep subjects which i quite like the idea of doing that's true i really want to watch husbands <laughs> oh i love husbands i can't wait to watch it. um when is husbands from is it like 1973 or i don't know let's have a peep we might get lucky 1970 Ooh. it is 70 yes so we okay. can do husbands. We're going to do husbands. <laughs> okay, perfect. I get to go off about John Caspetti's. It's going to be As great. it should be. Oh, this is perfect. This this podcast has been so much better than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we have structure. Yes. And I want to, like, refine the structure as well. So that will probably happen. Oh, yeah. But we've had a good ramble about good stuff. It's a good start. Um, so how would you... We both... Did we both rate this movie the same way? I think we did. I think I gave a four we both out of five. <laughs> gave it four stars. Yes. Out of five on Letterboxd. Yes. Are we gonna tell people our Letterboxd? Um, sure. If you wanna follow my Letterboxd, I'm my like screen name is M Wood Blues. Um, like L Wood Blues. And it's so good. But my, like, actual handle, and I'm not sure which one I will come up by, is regular underscore Rudy, like, from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> uh, my letterbox handle is Obscure Film, and then my actual name thing is Griffin Dunn's Monobrow. <laughs> but I might change that to something more relevant to the 70s. You might. Oh, Although I do no. love Griffin Dunn's Monobrow. <laughs> I've been, my my little monobrow has been growing out. It's making me think about it. Oh, same though. <laughs> and I like it. It feels like an homage to him. Okay, well, we'll keep it. And your screen name. <laughs> We've probably said it enough for now. 
I'm sure we'll, we'll we get have. Do we need deeper any... on Altman at some point. We should say, stay tuned in. Stay tuned in. <laughs> stay tuned in, because next, next episode is Husbands. Yes, definitely come back and you'll want And you'll want to be here for that. Yeah. Because... It's bound to be good. Google it, and obviously... Peter Falk, John Cassavetes, Ben Gazzara. They're just rowdy boys having fun. We'd love to see it. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye, listeners. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 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 Bye, listeners. Come back for Husbands. I hope you enjoyed Obscure Film Presents the 1970s. I bet you did. The people that you see set them free.